0: Welcome to Unity of Fairfax, a positive path for spiritual living and spiritual center for education, practice, and service in Northern Virginia. We hope you find inspiration in this week's message. Great joy. Great joy. So as I've been sharing during this Advent season, that I've really been leaning into the stories of Advent, not just as an exercise mentally to just see what the content is, not as intellectual exercise, but rather as a experience of spiritual growth and development. I want this Advent season, and I want these stories in particular to guide me and allow me to reawaken or rebirth that Christ spirit within me in the same time frame that we are acknowledging the birth of Jesus in the world, the one we call the great example, not the great exception, of what it means to live a life connected to and always knowing our oneness with our God. You know, the great work that Jesus did, we teach in unity, we can do too because that same Christ consciousness in him is in us, that same spirituality. The great work for us is to awaken it and discover it and then to release whatever the limiting beliefs are that might keep us from doing that, our fears, our ignorance, our angst, our anxieties, all of that sort of stuff. It's an all-you-got-to-do job. All you got to do is release what doesn't belong. Well, anyway, that's a great work. So I'm wanting to use this season to help me do that in a measurable fashion. I want to know that when we get to Christmas Day a week from today, as a matter of fact, now that's kind of a scary thought, I mean a joy-filled thought, uh, <laughs> that came quick, my goodness, um, that, that I've con- since in myself there has been some growth. And this week's theme is around joy, and I'm thinking, okay. Now, so far for this season, we've been leaning into the story of the nativity uh, from the book of Matthew, and it's got some real heavy themes to it. You know, we've talked about the Holy Family being political refugees. That was in the first week of Advent. And we talked about the divine idea of peace. And what happens when we encounter a situation in our life where we just have to accept a fact that was thrust upon us, and just have to deal with it in one way, shape, or form. Last week, we we got into this love theme and looked at family and community and belonging and recognized that if we truly want to be a part of an organization, part of a family uh, of choice or origin, it doesn't matter, then there is really an expression of love. When we say, these are my people, and I choose to allow them to be a part of me. So there's a big conversation in there around belonging. Well, this is the joy week. And for whatever reason, as I leaned into the story this, this week of Luke's gospel, Luke's narrative, I discovered he apparently had a Groupon. And Well, we don't talk about this too much. This is one of the things I discovered. He had a Groupon for miraculous births. And I want to share with you a little bit of story that we don't highlight a lot of time at Christmas time about two miraculous births. So, again, you get your spiritual group on, and it's because of these two ladies, Mary and Elizabeth. Now, those of you who know British history will not want to get them confused with Mary, Queen of Scots, and Elizabeth I. That is a very different story with a very different outcome. So I want to pick up in the Book of Luke, uh, chapter one, verse five. Now, almost all of the Book of Luke, uh, chapter one, rather, is, is a is a backstory that gets us to chapter two. Now, we just read about good tidings of great joy and the angels. Um, you might uh, that was from chapter two. Now, that story is one you're probably most familiar with from the Peanuts Christmas special. You know when Linus comes out on the stage with his blanket. That show actually debuted in 1965, same as myself. So anyway, so anyway, that's a side side note. So let's look at this story. Um, So in the day of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Ajiba. His wife was descended from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth were barren and both were getting on in years. Well, I have to stop here and make two notes. Um, It wasn't until the 17th century that it was understood the, that uh, fertility could be a male problem as well as a female. So, just gotta point that out, because a lot of times when we see these stories, the women always get blamed. So, you know, this was written by a man, so blame her. Anyway, that's an aside. Um, anyway, I just wanna make that point. So, they're getting on in years. Once when he was serving as a priest before God during his section's turn of duty, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord to offer incense. Now, at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice in his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of the Israel to their Lord, their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before them to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I know this will happen? For I'm an old man and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel standing and I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and to bring to you this good news. Now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute unable to speak until these things occur. Uh, really? So, uh, so I had to think about this and I'm not. I'm not sure if this is the origin story of becoming speechless when there's great news, but it's as good an explanation as any. So for you, has any of you have any of you ever had great news brought to you and you're like, Bleh. you don't know what to say? Exactly. See, there's biblical precedent for that. So you're in good company. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary he kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was ended, he returned home. After those days, his wife Elizabeth did conceive, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me in this time, when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. So again, I'm disappointed she had experienced disgrace about something that may or may not have been her fault. And secondly, there's no indication that the conception happened beyond the regular way. Just throwing it out there. So eventually, the story goes on. The angel goes to Mary and says to Mary, Hey, you're going to have this child, and it's going to be wonderful. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. And now your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived And for the sixth month, and this was the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then then Mary said, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Here's the important line in that passage. For nothing will be impossible for God. Mary then goes and visits her her kinswoman Elizabeth. We're not exactly sure what the relationship was in the Hebrew. It just, it, I mean, the Greek it just says relative. So she goes to visit her relative, and uh, she stayed with Mary, I mean J- Elizabeth and Zechariah for about three months, then returned home. Now here's the conclusion of the story, and we're nearly done. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the the, the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were about to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, no, no, he is to be called John, which literally means Yahweh is gracious. They said to her, none of your relatives has this name. Then they began motioning to his father to find out what name he wanted to give the boy. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And all of them were amazed. And I guess they were amazed that he was going to name his son, not after him or even a family member, but this new name. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue freed, and he began to speak, praising God. Fear, this time like they were afraid, fear came over all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about throughout the entire hill country of Judea. All who heard them pondered them and said, What then will this child become? For indeed, the hand of the Lord was with him. All right, if you know your scripture, you know this child was John the Baptist, who later on prepared the way and announced the coming of Jesus in the world. But I love this line of all the backstory. What comes to mind for me is, for nothing will be impossible with God. And I'm thinking about what this means to us in a practical sense today, how this has invited me into a greater awareness of what joy is. And it stems to me from the connection between the idea of impossible and joy. This whole nativity story is really about the birth of something, the creation of something, the conception of something. And we're given not one but two stories of improbable conception that happen in the Gospel of Luke. We have this young woman who is a virgin we are told, and we have this very old lady who was past the point of giving child, giving birth, and yet they both do. These were two impossible situations. And yet in the identification of these very two impossible situations, they are linked to the idea of joy. I thought about the word impossible. What's really impossible? Is there really anything that is impossible? There was a time when they said it was impossible for human beings to fly. How many of you have been on an airplane? How many of you have flown? All right. It was impossible to split an atom. It means it was impossible to cure disease. I mean, the list goes on and on. It's impossible to have a a handheld computer in your hand that you can talk to anybody on planet Earth. All these impossibilities. We live with the impossible. And yet when the new impossible thing happens, what do we feel? Great joy. We can run four-minute miles. We can jump 17 feet. All the amazing things that we're told you can't do, somebody has done or will do. And the result of that is great joy. Why is that? Where is that capacity? And to me, I think it, it is the difference between a, 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 an apostrophe and a, and a space. And what I mean by that, the word impossible becomes I'm possible. I mean, how many of you have survived or lived through something that was impossible, at least by your definition? A few hands have gone up. I think it's probably all of us have gotten through the impossible thing. Why is that? Because there is a power and a presence within us that is designed to break break free through any barrier that says this can't be done. Whether you're the first person to do that, or we have wonderful stories of the first woman to do this, the first man to do that, the first person to walk on the moon, the the first whoever. I mean, the, the impossible gets shattered all the time as a matter of course. This story, this nativity story, has not one but two examples of great joy because of something impossible that happened. And that impossible thing that happened happened because there's a power and presence within us that is always saying, I'm possible. Or in the collective, it says, We're possible. We can do this because we are limitless. Now, the problem is this thing between our ears, our brains, our minds. All too often, we adopt an attitude or a belief, a belief system, BS, I abbreviate that, that says, I can't, I'm not enough, this isn't enough, we don't have, it's never been done, nobody's done it before. Anybody ever hear any of those ideas? It's not the way we do things. I mean, 101 reasons and excuses we give for not being possible. It's a problem with our human minds. We can adopt a viewpoint and a perspective that limits us from experiencing the fullness of life. Christmas is all about the fullness of life, the fullness of belly in my case, but we'll go with that. Fullness of life, the presence, the lights, everything says live life in abundance. And yet how many of us go around poor-mouthing, oh, because of this and because of that and blah, 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 blah. We kill the joy. Rather than saying, Well, what can I do? Where can I start to do something? It just takes one thing. I often say, Something is 100% more than nothing. These impossible stories are here to remind us to get happy, to know that if someone says to you, Oh, that can't be done, the gauntlet has been thrown down. You want to bet? You want to bet? And if I don't do it, I'm going to give it the old college try. And that's in the big external things, whether it's accomplishing a goal or creating a new product, bringing a company to business, uh, finding a new mate, or more importantly, the internal things of recognizing that we have held a belief about ourselves that says, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I can't do it. I'm not capable. Nobody loves me, blah, 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 and realizing the fact that all of those beliefs can be let go. That we don't have to keep going out seeking evidence of a belief system that is not helpful. You see, that's one of the things that we as human beings do. We, we collectively, I'm not saying anybody in this room, but you might know people, we adopt a, a belief And then we all go, then we make it a point to live out the consciousness of confirmation bias. Since this is my bias, I'm going to go seek out and prove it. I'm going to prove to you how nobody loves me. I'm going to prove to you how everybody's out to get me. I'm going to prove to you that blah, 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 blah. You know what I'm saying? I hope you know what I'm saying. And I hope none of you does that. But when we have those moments of light, when we are awakened, then we can ask ourselves, is that really what I'm doing? And is that what I want to keep doing? And then we go back to that affirmation, I am one with the limitless power in the universe. I am that Christ being reborn symbolically every year at this time. And we remember that all these stories, these rebirth stories are about us each and every one of us is born of a virgin, meaning each one of us is born clean and whole and beautiful without blemish. That means that each and every one of us is born with a star over the place we were born as an acknowledgement that this is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. And nothing will ever change that. Nothing. Nothing. Scriptures are full of stories of the endless quality of divine love. And when we recognize that, that we can be that same love incarnate, then we can access the divine joy of this particular theme of this week's Advent experience and be joy-filled. It doesn't necessarily mean that everything is going great, because if you are a human being, chances are not everything is going just exactly as you want it right now, but you can acknowledge those facts and still feel divine joy. Because wherever you are, God is. Wherever you are, there is a light over your head. and that wherever you ever you are, you're possible. I want to invite us all to, to affirm that together. And the affirmation is, is, is simply, I'm possible. Together, I'm possible. Okay, now, now act like you mean it. I'm possible. Amen. Amen. That's the joy that happens this week. That's the joy when happens when you realize that anything is possible to you. You know, we have this saying, and I want to close with this, in unity and new thought we often use. And, it, and I love it because it, it talks about conception. Whatever we can conceive, whatever we can give birth to, whatever we're willing to conceive we can and believe, we can achieve. But so often, we're not even willing to have that conception. We're not even willing to allow ourselves to to bring together in our mind with our being the idea of what can happen. We stop ourselves immediately. I'm not going to make a goal or a vision for myself because it would never happen anyway. We're not even going to allow that conception to happen. But all things will be possible with God. And as soon as we realize we are an embodiment of that consciousness then we can realize, yes, I'm willing to allow this to be conceived, this idea of me, for me, by me. Whether I'm too young or too old, nothing shall be impossible. So as a gift to give yourselves this year at Christmas, give yourself the gift of believing in a dream Believing in a goal, regardless of how far-fetched it might seem. Because it's possible. Because you're possible. And so it is. Amen. Thank you for tuning into Unity of Fairfax podcast. You're welcome to join us live in Oakton, Virginia, every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m., or view our live stream services from our website at unityoffairfax.org. We appreciate our donations to support this podcast to make our message of positive, practical spirituality more accessible to all. See you next time.